I live in the weak and the wounded. I am the devil, and I am here to do the devil's work. They will say that I have shed innocent blood. What's blood for, if not for shedding? She just goes a little mad sometimes. We all go a little mad sometimes. I like to dissect girls. Did you know I'm utterly insane? Hello? How do you know my name? I didn't tell you my name. Hang up. I didn't tell him my name. They're all a part of it. They're all pods, all of them. Whatever you do, don't fall. They mostly come at night. Mostly. I'm scared to close my eyes. I'm scared to open them. What do we do? Why don't we just wait here for a little while? See what happens. Welcome to Critics Not Cynics, the podcast that tries to prove that you can be a critic without being a cynic. And this is our third installment of Let's Scare Leslie to Death, and we've uh, kind of stuck with a theme, I think, for the rest of this month. Um, We are sticking with John Carpenter, and we're talking about uh, 1987's Prince of Darkness, which is the second entry into what is commonly known as John Carpenter's Apocalypse Trilogy, which we'll dive into a little bit later. Um, so, Leslie, before we talk about the movie a little bit, how is, what do you think of your exposure to John Carpenter right now? What do you think of him as a filmmaker, as a storyteller? Um, I can definitely see the development as we go on from film to film. I can see the improvement in story and the improvement in his cinematography. Uh, I think it's really interesting. I think he has a lot of interesting ideas that I would like to tweak and make, like, purely sci-fi. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's he's one of those ones where, like, I, I agree. Uh, he, he has, like, a lot of interesting ideas, and then execution kind of sometimes doesn't fully mesh together and, and falls apart a little bit, whether it be in the ending or in something else. Uh, apologies if you do hear in the background a tractor running. My dad has decided to mow grass right now. Uh, so that might be a little distracting, but we'll work, we'll work through it. Um, so if you guys aren't familiar with uh, Prince of Darkness, which is one of his um, lesser-known films, it was, again, 1987, and uh, the premise of it is a research team finds a mysterious cylinder in a deserted church. If opened, it could mean the end of the world. And with that, we will play you the trailer. Anyone in close proximity has the same dream. What is it? A secret that can no longer be kept. It started a month ago. What started? A change in the earth and the sky. His power. There's a weird locking mechanism. Looks like it can only be opened from the inside. 
a life form is growing out of prebiotic fluid. It's not winding down into disorder. It's self-organizing. It's becoming something. What? Leslie, uh, off to you. What, tell us what you kind of think about the movie. Okay. Um, like I said before, this is another interesting concept. I, um, I don't know if I want to spoil anything for anybody who might not have watched it, but it is kind of like uh, aliens, alien Jesus sort of a thing, alien Satan sort of a thing. Um, so to me, that, that idea is really interesting, that it was an advanced uh, species or person that came to the planet. But I, I, wanted, I needed to know more about what happened and, like, why was it a crash, things like that. I wanted more of the ancillary details to kind of fill in the story. Um, but I do think his cinematography was a lot better in this one. The, the camera work was really interesting. Um, one of the scenes that really stood out is kind of um, towards the beginning of the movie where the priest is walking into the church and it kind of hangs with the Virgin Mary statue on the left and you just see him walk across. I was like, that's a really interesting shot. And they did some interesting shots in the hallways, focusing on the characters as they're walking up and down and you get to see the length of the hallways. Just interesting things that I thought, hey, that's a really cool shot. And I said that a lot while I was watching it. So <laughs> it, it, I jotted it down, it stood out to me. <laughs> Um, the whole time, one of the questions I had was, why don't they let someone sleep and try and get the full message that's being sent back? We talked about that, because I'm like, if you slept the whole time, maybe you get the whole message instead of waking up, you know, because the priest mentioned it, and then he was talking to the professor about it, and I'm thinking, all these smart people, wouldn't they have put it together that, let's get somebody, you know, in a room, let's let them sleep and tell us the whole thing. Or all of these priests who were the Brotherhood of Sleep, no, none of them slept long enough to write it down. It's been like 2,000 years. So I just have a lot of questions, you know, regarding that sort of stuff going on in the movie. Um, I'm just looking through my notes real quick just to see. Uh, again, I feel like this is another one where it suffered from too many characters. Okay. You didn't really get to focus enough on a specific one throughout the film to make me care enough about a person. There was just so many that we started out with, and I feel like there were so many to start out with because he needed a few to be there just to get killed. Yeah, because I, it's I, dressed up in the trappings of horror. I wouldn't. I wouldn't disagree with that either. Um, I, I do think that there's, like you said, there's too too many characters, but I, I do think like the characters that we have established are fairly established well, like uh, Brian and, and Catherine. That basically are two real main leads of this kind of ensemble piece. Yeah, I think I think the intended impact, because he's a horror director, 
the, you know, the intended impact when you go to see a horror movie is you want to feel thrilled or scared or things like that. Like, that's the intended impact you have on the audience as a whole. Like, this is the biggest swath of audience, you know, not people who are really delving into it. So, for me, the that intended impact would be better for me personally if this was science fiction and it was dressed up in science fiction clothes and it was trying to be have that impact of curiosity or wonder or make you think sort of things that are a little more associated with sci-fi when you go see a sci-fi film than oh it's October I'm gonna go see a horror film and you want to be creeped out right right but overall I liked the movie okay uh Pat any thoughts from you so I do think that it kind of takes a little bit to get the ball rolling you get them kind of like getting their super crew of scientists (laughs) together that are just students right he says that they're good enough to be... Well, they're grad students, too, yeah. so, so they at least have not, some standing in it. It's not like they, yeah, it's not like they don't have any experience in the field. Um, but I think what I liked most about it was the combination of, like, science and kind of, like, the religious aspect. That's one of the things I really liked and about this. Because a lot of horror films will focus on one, and they won't really get involved with the other. Right. And, you see that with, like, say, The Omen. Um, Exorcist. Exorcist. You see the religious side with those. And then, like, any, like, basic, basic ghost hunter movie, you only see, like, the ghost hunter side. And right. Science. Loosely. Like, like Ghostbusters, say, essentially. Yeah. Loosely say the science side. Right. Um, but I do think that it, he does a fantastic job of merging the two to where it doesn't have to be one explanation or the other. And I think that focusing on both kind of gives it a nice, round story. Right. I, that's, that's one concept I, I do. I think this is why it's probably, next to the thing, like one of my favorite Carpenter films. Um, because, like you were saying, um, typically we're always kind of shown in media or in entertainment that religion and science cannot coexist. That one is directly in conflict with the other. The closest, I think, that gets to that is um, Dan Brown's Angels and Demons, which kind of merges the two a little bit, but not not in the sense that this film does. Whereas this film is kind of saying that they're, they're co-related, that uh, Jesus, again, kind of being this humanoid-type alien that comes to Earth uh, to warn of um, the kind of antimatter god or... or essentially evil is is not necessarily a creation of man but it is an actual entity an actual force um much as as there's like an, a life there's an anti-life matter anti-matter um it, it kind of shows that science and religion are more interlinked than we thought like one of the lines i really like is um when they're talking about that these differential equations are being entered into the computer from the ancient text and they're like, well, 2,000 years ago, we hadn't even invented differential equations. And it's like, yeah, but somehow, back then, this was all there. Um, wanted to also touch base a little bit on, on Leslie's thing about the, the, the dream sequence. Uh, I'm thinking that it's purposely never going to show the full um, dream sequence, no matter how much they sleep. If they were to sleep through the whole night, I still think that they're only ever going to get bits and pieces do you think that it's in flux sort of like they're starting to send the message 
but you can't see it till the very end until somebody has been the one who caused the very end through the mirror. This is why, like, you and I were talking uh, the other day. I, I feel like it's almost uh, uh, a time loop in the sense of, like, for the message to be sent back, these events that happen at the church have to happen. So regardless, uh, and this actually will go into kind of when we start talking about the Apocalypse trilogy um, and the themes of the three movies and and the overall theme, uh, I think that that will really play into it, that no matter what they tried to do to prevent it, it was going to happen. And by them getting the messages, they were only kind of setting um, setting it into motion. Um, one, one thing I've also talked about uh, in some of our previous things is that we, you'll start seeing Carpenter use a lot of the same actors in his films. Again, we got Peter Jason kind of showing up as another, uh, he's one of the scientists, uh, the one who does his little horn imitation, which I get stuck in my head every time I watch this movie. Um, and then you have Victor Wong, who was in, the year prior to this, was in uh, Big Trouble in Little China. The... Um, uh, Dennis Dunn, who plays Walter, he was also in, in Big Trouble in Little China. Um, so, you know, you start seeing him use uh, other characters again. Donald Pleasance, who, you know, is familiar with from the Halloween franchise. Um, I, there's something about that that adds a comfort, I think, to his films. Is uh, These are people that he knows will bring the performances when uh, he really needs it. And I think that that's true in any Carpenter film. I don't think you can say anyone gives a bad performance. The script might not work, or the story might not fully work, or some of the visuals might be a little wonky. You know, me, I was a critic of kind of the makeup effects in this one, um, where the Susan, or not Susan, uh, Kelly, or uh, the actress' name is Susan, um, who, who is the one who basically becomes the, the vessel for Satan or whatever, uh, her face looks like it's gone through like a meat blender or meat grinder, and it just, it's not convincing, as, as what we've seen in some of the previous visual effects from Carpenter. Um, but I, there, there's just something about this film, I think uh, it's also got probably one of the longest intros um, to a Carpenter film. Like, I mean, it's, the film really doesn't start until about the 20 minute mark. Like, I'll... It starts, we're getting bits and pieces, we're getting the, the father dying, uh, you know, and then Donald Pleasant's character kind of coming to understanding of, of this church and, and what it did um, and what it protected. And then uh, the, the science uh, class and everything like that. But it, it, that is a very long intro. And I mean, we're getting credits constantly through it. But I also, this is another one where I really like the, the soundtrack. So much so that... Uh, Shout Factory is releasing a 4K um, version of the film, and they're doing a um, an edition that comes with a vinyl of some of the soundtrack. So I, I've already got that pre-ordered, even, even though I didn't need it. But um, there, I, I also have to agree. Like the thing that intrigues me the most about this movie is the backstory. Is this who Jesus was in in the in the sense of this film? And what his mission was, um, we we get we get it, but like we don't don't see anything about it. I would have kind of preferred to have seen some flashbacks or or had some more exposition um, to kind of explain. Yeah, I feel like that's the difference between if it, if this was science fiction, we might have gotten more of that. Mm-hmm. But this is supposed to be horror and how it it affects you, so it's not maybe as necessary to give that to you. Any thoughts from you on that? 
Not, not, not really. really no. no I, like I'd have to think about it a little bit more. But I mean, on a base level, like if you don't, if if the movie's not grabbing your interest in that way, I could see that that being um, sufficient enough, like backstory and explanation. Um, but yeah, especially again, thinking about widest impact, general impact. Mm-hmm. That here's my horror movie. I'm trying to sell that you don't necessarily need to fill in all of the wonder and and whatnot because the point is that you and your friends or you and your girl or you and your boy or whatever are going and it's going to be like, oh, I'm going to be scared, whatever, you know, what do they call them, the cuddle on the couch movie or whatever. Oh, yeah, yeah. Something like that and and that sort of a thing. So it's not necessarily like the, the widest swath, you know, because obviously movies are made because it's a business and you make money the widest swath is like, let's creep people out a little bit where I feel like intended impact for a science fiction would be like, we'll give you little pieces of this and that because you kind of want that and need that for the curiosity. Right. And, uh, one of the things about this film is that, um, he, this is him kind of going back to his indie roots. Uh, he was kind of a little, um, disenfranchised by the studio system after, uh, working on big trouble in little China and the lack of, um, kind of support he got from the studio when putting that movie out and uh so this was him kind of going back to self-funding and and uh doing it on his own which i think is also kind of an explanation of why it's one of the lesser known carpenter films and why uh it 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 probably is now making more of an impact especially with if shout factory or scream factory is actually making the spending the time to make a collector's edition um, that usually means that these movies are kind of coming back into the mainstream a little bit. I know my um, my introduction to this film, because I didn't know about it for the longest time, was a uh, someone on Facebook that I, I'm friends with. They were doing um, like weekly screenshot trivias and like, oh, here's a screenshot from a film. Try to guess what film it's from. And they did the screenshot of Dirk Blocker's uh, character Mullins, who... Uh, you'd be more familiar with Dirk Blocker from Brooklyn Nine-Nine. I know Pat certainly is. Mm-hmm. Um, he It was right before he gets his uh, head twisted. It was like him looking at the computer. And so, you know, I didn't know what movie it was from. And then finally the guy gave the answer. I'm like, oh, Prince of Darkness. I'm going to look this up. And I watched it and, like, I, f- I fell in love with it. Um, it it's... It's just one of those movies that it, it does make you think a lot. And I think that that's what I really like about it. Um, you also get an incredible cameo from Alice Cooper in, in there, which I, I, it's funny because the only reason he has a cameo in it is his manager was working, for some reason, working with Carpenter on, on the movie. And so he came on the set one day and then Carpenter was like, you know what, you're going to be in it. <laughs> so you're, I'm going to make you this... this uh, this leader of the home, uh, the homeless um, crew, which is also, you know, another interesting aspect about the film. It, it takes a look at kind of the mental illness aspect of, are these people actually mentally ill, or are they more susceptible to the the transmission, the signal um, that that the goo or whatever uh, that's in the church is sending out, because. That's kind of a point that they kind of touch on briefly about paranoid schizophrenia, uh, schizophreniacs and um, that, you know, that maybe that they're on a different um, level, frequency level than, than quote unquote sane people. 
Um, and of course, they are the ones that are kind of keeping everybody locked into the church. Uh, does also anyone else think about the first guy, one of the first guys to get killed, looks exactly like Justin Long? A little bit. <laughs> it's a little, a little before Justin Long's time, but you know, he's <laughs> it, like every time I watch him, I'm like I gotta convince myself that's not Justin Long. Um, I will say, like with there being that many characters, mm-hmm. it did kind of provide a justification for why the bodies weren't being discovered as fast because it did there was like three people dead by the time like they realized people oh, yeah. were actually yeah. missing and by that time I'm like look these people are missing and no one's saying anything <laughs> well and also the the idea that each one is doing their own tasks so mm-hmm. you're not necessarily going to be uh, you know knowing where so and so is like that's the one I think that is actually named uh, Susan um, is the first person who is uh, basically infected by by the evil mm-hmm. um no one knows like where she's at they keep asking her and they're like well i thought i saw her here or i thought i saw her there one other interesting or i i, I don't i don't understand the point of it and that is kelly's character it's the one who bumps her arm and then she has the bruise of the upside down cross like how that all correlates because like that's when they're you know talking about the differential equations and she's kind of freaking out and she backs up and and hits her arm on the machine so that's that's equipment from the school it's not something that was there within the church how that translates into her kind of becoming the vessel for for satan for lack of a better term do you guys have any thoughts on that i mean if you since it's being like ran, it's running through the ancient text. Maybe like something in the text like comes part of the computer. Okay, could be. I, I mean, I could see that because we're we're already kind of talking about the merging of, of of science and religion. Leslie, you have some thoughts. Well, I was confused by that too because I thought, well, why wasn't it the other girl who first got sprayed in the face? Right. Which like is... it would have made more sense to me if it was her. Because obviously she's the first one who gets sprayed with the goo. Well, not only that, um, I believe it's her who says that her parents attended the church back in the 50s when it was actually open to the public. So she had a direct connection to the church um, through her parents. That would have made more sense to me that she would have been more likely the vessel. Um, But. You know, it, that's neither here nor there. I, I still kind of enjoy the movie for even its, its shortcomings. Um, now, an interesting thing, and then we'll, we'll kind of dive into uh, the Apocalypse trilogy and what it is and what it means. Um, the reason this movie all came about and how Carpenter wrote it uh, came from a dream that his... I, I'm, I assume they were married at this time, but Deborah Hill, who was his constant co-producer... Uh, was his girlfriend when, when making Halloween. Uh, she had a dream, basically the dream we see within in the movie, of a church and a dark figure standing in the doorway and having this sense of dread about, about that figure. And then he took that concept of her dream and, and fleshed it out into this movie. Uh, I think that's really kind of cool to take something as small as that and write an hour and 40-minute movie that contemplates theology and and physics and kind of making it this grand scale uh piece you know yeah i think he has a lot of interesting ideas 
Yes, he does. I, I don't. I almost wish he could go back and like redo everything <laughs> with today's. Like, give him all the money he needs and equipment and whatnot, and and do it again. Unfortunately, I think he's in his late eighties. That's not really. Still got time. <laughs> Still got time. Put his brain in a dish. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny. I was I was listening the the commentary uh, track to um, the original Halloween with him and, and Jamie Lee, and you know he's still pretty sharp uh, on some of the stuff. He's also in in that um, in Search of Darkness documentary, but you know he was remembering things, and and in fact uh, he was correcting Jamie Lee on on some uh, some things that she was getting wrong. Um, but it was he's. A fascinating guy, and I think I will like his movies, even his worst films, um, like his guilty pleasure ones of, which, of mine, which would be Ghost of Mars, uh, which I, I has that kind of balance of sci-fi and horror, but I think goes a little too far to the horror, or maybe it goes a little too far to the sci-fi and doesn't flesh out the horror enough. Um, and again, there's something about some of his later films' endings. Uh, I, I'm not completely satisfied by the ending, although I am given the sense of dread that although they think they prevented it or that they stopped it, it's still going to happen. And that they've only facilitated it by, um, by, uh, Catherine sacrificing herself, um, that they've yeah, given a vessel for evil. I, I feel like maybe if they had cut it off real quick, right when he jerks awake. Yeah. And don't let the little moment of him get up and, and whatever. But, like, as soon as he finishes the dream, he jerks awake and cut it. Well, I think the mirror is is important, though, because of the whole um, the whole importance of mirrors within in the thing. The, um, now, I think that maybe there should have been something that happened other than him just kind of looking in the mirror, maybe cut... Maybe her hand. Her hand, or even when you cut the dark, you hear a shadow. You know, as of as if something were coming out of there. Um, but uh, so well, let's go ahead and give our scores for this movie, and then we'll get into the uh, apocalypse trilogy aspect of it. So, Leslie, what what would you score the movie? Um, overall, I'd give it three and a half. Okay. And so far, of the ones that we've watched, while I think that the concept of the thing I still really like, I think this one is better. Ooh. That's that's a hot take, I think, for some people. <laughs> <laughs> From somebody not steeped in the horror genre. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Pat? I, I'm going to land on a four again. Okay. I think that this one really provides pretty much a really well-rounded story. Um, I do love the combination of science and religion, and, and I think it's enjoyable for anyone on, on any with any type of viewpoint, whether you, you aren't religious at all or... And you're all science, or you're very religious. Okay. Um, now, I do have to ask, because I, I know I've seen it multiple times. This was a first view for you, Leslie, right? Yes. And was this a first-time view for you? It was. Okay. Well, I'm glad to hear those types of reactions, because, again, like like I said, this movie was not really on my radar, and I was, um, I've been steeped in a horror for as long as I can remember. So I'm really glad that uh, you guys had a very good experience with it. For me... As much as I love it, I think I have to land on a three um, because there there is more I wish it would have done. Um, I will say that that it is still probably my second to th second or third favorite Carpenter film. It's it's going to jockey with position with the movie that we'll talk about next week, um, but plays into this uh, Apocalypse trilogy. So, all right, um, John Carpenter's Apocalypse trilogy. What is it? It is. Three movies that he's made. 
um, and they all deal with themes. Uh, and this is his, you know, he has determined this, that these three movies are his apocalypse trilogy. So it's not like people just have gone, oh, no, I'm going to pick these three movies out of his catalog and I'm going to assign it this. Now, I've not seen him talk about too much about it, just that it's, I've always seen him quoted that it's, it's the Apocalypse Trilogy, so on and so forth. Um, so before we started recording today, um, I kind of did some digging, and I have to credit Den of Geek, um, because they did a really good article um, kind of just talking about where each of these movies kind of fall and what they, um, what they mean to be a part of the Apocalypse Trilogy and then kind of what their overall meaning is. So we've already discussed The Thing, and we've just talked about Prince of Darkness, and then next week we'll be talking about the third movie, but we're going to talk about it a little bit this week. Um, and that's In the Mouth of Madness. Now, The Thing is considered the destruction of the individual, Prince of Darkness is the destruction of God, and In the Mouth of Madness is the destruction of reality. And overall, this means the destruction of free will. So, I, I'm gonna, how do I wanna do this? I think I'm gonna actually turn to Pat. I know you don't have as much kind of been doing in the research into this uh, as I have, or maybe Leslie has, uh, but what do you, what do you think? I, I know you've only seen the two movies, um, so I won't ask you to comment on In the Mouth Madness, but do you think that those kind of terms fit within the movies that, uh, that they've assigned them to? Yes and no. Okay. Um, as far as, like, this movie being the destruction of God, mm -hmm. I, I think that a little more explanation would have had to have happened at the end. Okay. Um, as for the thing, I, I'd say that that's... Pretty spot on. Oh, yeah. Okay. Leslie, what about you? Yeah, I'd say that those kind of fit. I'd, I'd probably say more it's the destruction of religion than necessarily destruction of God, because I think what they're... The point is that this religion was the concept based around um, the Jesus figure in there, you know, the alien Jesus figure, and you have lots of different religions around the world. So I would say that this is more the destruction of that religion than necessarily a deity in and of itself. So uh, I think one of the reasons why um, why they do that, and I'm referring back to uh, Den of Geek as I'm, I've kind of pulled up right now, uh, apparently, it's a. This is from an old Douglas Adams um, gag that, by God's own logic, to prove that God exists is to prove that God does not exist. So, in proving that Satan exists as a substance, God is notable only by his absence, but the evil force clearly remains. And then, only with a noble sacrifice is the anti-God finally foiled. But the film ends with an overt hint that humanity is doomed to repeat its mistakes. So. Maybe not so much necessarily the destruction of God, but proving maybe the lack of um, interference, for lack of a better term, of, of God. The fact that, you know, that there there's a more active approach from the anti-version that is trying to work its way into our our world, our, our lack universe. lack of our understanding. Right. And... Um, and so I, I, I do think that maybe destruction of God is not necessarily the best term, but... It's the look, most succinct term. If yeah. you look at it from the aspect of free will, though, God giving man free will, and then Satan trying to... And then 
twist man in mm-hmm. order to do bad. I mean, it's... well, but fitting into the overall uh, destruction of free will, I think that that that's the point of this is proving that the, that God and Satan or anti God are actually entities that are primarily no different than humans that there is no actual free will and in fact the fa- if, if we if we take into account that maybe the um that this is a time loop that they are fulfilling the destiny of actually releasing um this evil there is no free will because even if we're sending back the message to try to prevent it um you know from happening we are only solidifying that it actually happens uh, and that's kind of a you know the time paradox thing that that reaches into it because if if we have no actual if if the fact of sending that mass message back to the people in the past who could potentially prevent it only allows them to actually cause it from cause it to happen, then that means there is no free will. It's all predetermined. Um, so I think that that's possibly where, of course, going into the overall thing of the destruction of free will. Um, the destruction of reality and in, in the mouth of madness um, is is really kind of pertinent to that also happening too because we are arbiters of our own reality and if we then destroy our own reality by what we consider what is real versus what is not real or vice versa what is not real is actually real and what we think is real is not real which just sounds very convoluted but if you've seen in the mouth of madness that's kind of how in the mouth of madness is um it, it is, and especially when we destroy the individual, we destroy ourselves. So we, we've there. There is no um, unique aspect to the individual. We are just a collective, uh, collective group of ind- people, not individuals, that will just do predetermined actions. And without there being a higher power that kind of is leaving things to ourselves and for us to kind of determine our own fates. And then we have no determination of what is real and what isn't real. Then the the whole th- concept of free will, I think, falls apart. Any other the thoughts? The debate of, that? of religions and philosophers for centuries. Exactly, <laughs> and I think that that's why um, I think that's why these three movies um, really are kind of my favorite Carpenter films because they you can watch them individually and not even pick up on those themes or thematics or even if you don't know that they fit into this uh, trilogy like the Cornetto trilogy of Edgar Wright where you have uh, Shaun of the Dead um, oh god why am I forgetting the, the second one Hot Fuzz, Hot Fuzz and then um, World's End all deal with different thematic elements as well but you know it's also kind of considered its own trilogy and, and each one kind of having their own important meaning it's, it's nice to kind of look at these films in an overall um, meaning and trying to figure out how they all play part into that, that meaning. Um, so anybody else have any other thoughts on that and comments? No? No. No, no. All right. Well, I think that that's going to wrap it up for us this week. Um, I, I really li- kind of like that discussion a little bit. Uh, I think Leslie and I will go into it a little bit more next week. Uh, when we talk about In the Mouth of Madness, but uh, I'm glad we're kind of converting her over to a Carpenter fan, for sure. Yeah, at least for sure a Carpenter fan. <laughs> um, but we'll, we'll get her into some uh, some more horror. I, I, 
we'll go ahead and kind of lift the veil a little bit. We will have a, a an episode releasing the evening of the 31st for Halloween. And although I've discussed the movie already um, last year in my 31 Days of Horror, it'll be nice to kind of talk about it in a group context or a group setting. Uh, we will be discussing Trick or Treat, which will be really, I think, like the first real dive into other horror elements than than what we've seen with Carpenter. Um, but with that said, that'll do it for us this week. As always, if you aren't following us on Twitter, you can follow us at CriticsNTCynics. Uh, you can write into the podcast at CriticsNotCynics at gmail.com. Uh, follow us on Facebook. You can subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, Podbean, uh, Google Play, Amazon Music, anywhere you kind of get your podcasts. But uh, that'll do it for this week's installment of Let's Scare Leslie to Death. We'll talk to you guys next time.